On this week's show, we've got a wee bit of reselling news, a little bit of what's sold, and I'm going to answer some of your reselling questions. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to episode number 215 of the Galaxy CD's Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. My name is Ryan, and we've got a little bit of a different show today. I'm going to cover some of the things that you asked me. I solicited questions from uh, you, my loyal listeners, over on my Instagram page and in the community section over on YouTube. And I also kind of mined some of the DMs and just various questions I've seen over the last few weeks. So we're going to do a little bit of a question and answer episode this week. Again, as always is the case with these, not telling anybody how they should run their business, just giving you some suggestions on how I do things that you may want to consider applying to yours. We've got a little bit of reselling news and then, of course, a what sold recap at the end. So let's get kicked off with these reselling questions. So these came, like I said, some of them from Instagram, some of them from YouTube, some of them were DMs. Uh, one, I think, is even someone reached out to me directly on eBay itself. So a little bit of a hodgepodge of stuff here. We're kind of going to go through them one at a time. Uh, Fred Mose 6199 over on YouTube. Quick question. When you get a watcher, do you send your offer immediately? How about on an item that you just added or do you wait a bit of time? So in my case, I've talked about this a couple of times. I... I send offers pretty much immediately. Every time I get on to the eBay desktop app on my computer, which is probably five, six, seven times a day, either checking a message or using list perfectly to cross list. I pull items from eBay. Every time I go on there, I look at the tab in my seller hub that says eligible to send offers. And I pretty much immediately send offers. I, as I've talked about, I have a lot of long tail merchandise, but I'm not trying necessarily to collect this stuff. I want to move it as quickly as I can. So anytime I see somebody that comes into that eligible for offer thing, I send one out right away, even if I've just listed the item. I essentially have two two different offers that I send out. If an item is currently on sale because I'm running promotions every month on older inventory, I will offer an additional 10% off whatever the sale price is. And if it's a full price listing, which is generally for me anything that's been on my page for less than a year, I will send out a 15% off offer. And that is essentially all I do. And no, I don't wait. I just send them out immediately. The take rate on it is very, very low. I probably send anywhere from 25 to 50 offers out a day and sell maybe three or four things out of those offers. So it's a really, really minimal take rate. I think a lot of that, as as most resellers will talk about, is that there are other sellers that are watching other sellers' merchandise to see kind of where things go, where things are actually selling, what kind of offers people are sending out, and so on. But I just send those out right away. Uh, your mileage may vary, but uh, my, like I said, my success rate with it is it's high enough that I continue to do it, <laughs> uh, but it's not so high that I feel like there's any incentive to wait. Uh, I'm like I said, I'm just trying to get rid of this stuff anyway, and you know, the fast nickel versus a slow dime. I'm, I'm all for moving these things as quickly as I can. So thank you, Fred, for the question. 
Next up, uh, Busy Girl uh, two six eight one. This was also su- uh, submitted over on YouTube. I always enjoy your broadcast as well as your opinion, even though I only sell on one platform. Thank you so much. I always appreciate hearing that people get something out of these shows. Uh, besides just me sitting here in my basement talking to my camera. <laughs> uh, it's nice to know what changes and additional fees that sellers are being charged. I don't list many books, but what is a trade book? And thank you. Enjoy your evening. Thank you for the question. I, I answered this over on YouTube in the comments, but I did want to address this because it is a common issue that I see over on eBay. The The difference between a paperback and a trade paperback, which is what I think this question was aimed at. Um, trade books just generally could just be a trade manual, like something for pipe fitters, plumbers, electricians, books that deal with a specific trade. But you see this term trade paperback pretty frequently. And I see a lot of sellers that inaccurately list regular, what you would call mass market paperbacks or just generically paperbacks as trade paperbacks. And I see more often than you would probably think a lot of negative feedback on those sellers having misrepresented the item as a trade paperback when it is actually not. And the difference between those two is a trade paperback is generally larger. It's a physically bigger book. It's closer in size typically to the original hardcover. It's a little higher quality cover, a little heavier cardstock. And as I said, it is a bigger physical book. The traditional paperback or mass market paperback is the one that most people would normally think of. That's the smaller, I wouldn't quite call it pocket sized, but it's maybe four by six rather than five by seven or six by 10. So it's a much smaller book with much smaller paper. And the, the quality of the cover generally is a little bit lighter weight. So if you're listing books, I would advise you uh, to be aware of those differences and don't list things as trade paperbacks that are actually paperbacks because you do open yourself up to potentially some negative feedback. Um, the trade paperback is kind of the in, in a traditional printing situation, you would have the hardback, which is released first. The trade paperback would come out next as a slightly lesser expensive option. And then at the end, the mass market paperback, which is the cheapest, is the one that finally gets released. Not all books, of course, go through that. Some go directly to paperback. They're just pulps like old science fiction books and whatnot. Uh, But that's kind of the trend that you would see in that. So I hope that helped. Uh, Anyone else that's considering selling books to clear up the difference between a trade paperback and a paperback? Uh, Next up, this one came on Instagram from Mel. Uh, I went to an estate sale yesterday that had a large amount of books. It ends this afternoon. I was thinking about making an offer for whatever they don't sell. I have never done that before, though, and I know you mentioned doing that in an episode where you talked about buying inventory. How do you determine how much to offer? Uh, Thank you for the question. I did respond to her directly, but I thought this was also something that other people might get some benefit out of hearing. So essentially my process when I go to an estate sale is I'm trying to cherry pick out, obviously, the most valuable books that I can find in that sale, things that I'm willing to pay a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, maybe sometimes even up to five dollars, depending on what the book's value is. Those are the ones I'm trying to get out on my initial visit. But while I'm doing that, I'm also looking at the total collection. How much stuff is there in this collection that I think I could sell for a reasonable price that maybe isn't worth paying a dollar, two dollars, three dollars for? So things that might retail for say $5.99 plus shipping. I'm not trying to pay two bucks for that. Uh, 
50 cents, <laughs> a quarter, that would make a lot more sense. So if I see that there's a collection in an estate that has a lot of those opportunities, that's when I would leave my information and make an offer at the end. I have I have a wide range of offers that have come back to me. I have had numerous ones where they reached out and said, if you can just come get this stuff, box it up and haul it away, you can just have it. That is my favorite price, of course. There's nothing like free. <laughs> uh, I've bought lots for $0.10, cents, $0.15, cents, a quarter, $0.50. Cents. $0.50 cents is probably about as big as I've done as an offer on a post-sale buyout. Now, I have done bulk buys like at the estate sale. I just did one a couple of weeks ago for a huge lot of a couple hundred of old, the old science fiction books I paid. They were asking $2 a piece for those. I said, if I took all of these, what could you do for me? They offered me 50% off. So a buck a piece for about 200 paperbacks. This was not post sale. And I was able to take just the stuff I wanted. I didn't take all of the books. That's the other thing with these bulk buys. I offer to take everything. I don't just go back in and cherry pick out the best things. I take the entire collection, whatever's left, and then I deal with the stuff that is less desirable. In some cases, those books will ultimately end up being donated to a local thrift store. In a lot of cases, I will lot them up together, two or three books of a similar theme, economics books, nature books, books by the same author, and offer them at a discounted rate that I can save a little bit on the shipping and make the math make sense. And again, if you're paying 10 or 15 cents a piece for them and you can sell two books for $7 with free, with customer paid shipping, you can, it's not big money, but it adds up if you do eight or 10 of those a day. So that's kind of my philosophy on that. Um, Mel, if you're listening or watching, I'd be curious what, what you ended up doing. Did you make an offer? Did you buy the lot? And how is that working out? You can reach out to me, uh, again, on Instagram, or if you're watching on YouTube, you can leave a comment there as well. But that's that's kind of my process. I pick out the best stuff I can find first. And if the collection at large looks like there will be sufficient stuff there that I can sell for five, six, seven, eight bucks or more, I will make an offer on the whole lot. And then I'll just deal with the junk because there is inevitably some stuff that doesn't work out. Those buys typically also end up being kind of the lower priority buys. Uh, most of my bulk buys, I, I have probably thousands of items currently in my garage <laughs> uh, from bulk buys because I know they're going to be a mixed bag. I know there's going to be some decent stuff in there, but I know there's going to be a lot of not that great stuff. And it takes a lot longer to research through all of that. So I always work the stuff I cherry picked first because I know that's the high value stuff. And if I get to a point where I run out of those, that's when I start working on the bulk stuff. We'll get to another question here in a couple of minutes that kind of addresses how I, how I determine all that. But that's, that's kind of my process there. So thank you again, Mel, for the question. Next up from Buzzard Ben. Hello, Ryan. At what point do you decide that an item or items are not going to sell and you just end up donating them? So this is an interesting one, and I probably do this differently than most. When I do, like I was just talking about, that initial sort, I will decide right up front if an item doesn't have enough value to justify selling, that I will just immediately donate. So a book that looks like it's selling for $3 free shipping, for instance, on eBay. That's a total loser. You can't, it does, you don't even pay for the shipping selling that item. That's not something I'm interested in doing. If I could sell two of those books 
for six bucks plus shipping, that might be something that I would do. But for a lot of these one-offs that are really, really low value from a bulk buy, I just donate them pretty much immediately if I don't feel like I can build up a lot with them. Subsequent to that, however, I don't really get rid of much inventory because every day, I just not five minutes before I sat down to record this episode, I got a, a sale for a couple of paperback books that I have in a lot that I've had for nearly three years. What I do is, as I've talked about kind of in the intro to this, I run a lot of promotions. Every month I have things, my older inventory, anything older than a year is getting some level of discount. Sometimes I do a bulk and it's all 30% off. This current month I'm running tiers. So the oldest stuff is actually 60% off and then it's 50, 40, and 30 as we get closer to stuff that is around a year old or older. I've right now got about 6,500 items on sale in my eBay store at one of those those tiers, somewhere between 30 and 60% off. Obviously, the 60% off stuff is really, really old, but my money has already been made on the lot that that stuff came from. So anything I'm able to get out of it is free money. I'm blessed that I have enough space in my warehouse that I'm able to accommodate all of that. That is not a strategy that will work for everyone if you're working from your home and you have a bedroom or a basement or a small garage where you're trying to work out of, you probably are not in a position to accumulate 10,000 active listings that might have 15 or 18,000 items in them. So that's not necessarily a strategy that can work for everyone, but it has worked for me. And I do still regularly sell this older stuff that again is essentially free money because the money has already been made on the lot where those items came from. So I'm not at a point yet where I've actually gone into my inventory and gotten rid of anything once I decided to list it. Let me know if you're watching on YouTube in the comments below if that's something that you think you would do if you had the space or if you think I'm crazy hanging on to all that old stuff. Uh, But thank you, Buzzard Ben, for the question. Next up, uh, Gray MSC. This question came over on eBay. Gray and I talk actually back and forth pretty regularly uh, over on eBay. He sells mostly records. Uh, His note says, I sell records, CDs, and cassettes on eBay and ship media mail. I know you sell on Mercari and Etsy using cross-listing. I have over 11,000 listings. Uh, Would they be of any help to me, a faithful listener, Gray? Thank you for the message. Uh, As always, it's always good to chat with you. I Again, I answered him directly but I thought this might be something that would be helpful. I've talked about this before. I do cross-list, shameless plug, affiliate link in the description and the show notes below for List Perfectly. If you want to try their cross-listing platform, I more than make my money back, usually within the first couple of days of the month. (laughs) Uh, But I am very selective about how I do this. So Mercari, I pretty much cross-post everything over to Mercari because there's no listing fee. So it doesn't it doesn't really matter. It's not costing me anything except for the 30 seconds that it takes to cross-list it using List Perfectly to get it over there. The software transfers all the pictures, the descriptions. I have to add a couple of things, update the price to include shipping, and I get on with life. So I move everything over to Mercari. Mercari continues to be a relatively small percentage of my business. It's probably 3 to 5% a month of my business, but that's three to 5% a 
of my income that I would not be making if I wasn't doing it. So is it worth it? For me, absolutely. It's several hundred dollars a month in profit. So yes, I, I would recommend adding at least that platform to your arsenal. Etsy, however, is another matter because it can only really be vintage items. So things, I think the cutoff is like 2002, 2003, anything that's newer than that, you can't list there at all. So that limits you a little bit. I just picked up a a pretty nice lot of DVDs and a lot of them are newer than that and I couldn't list them. So there are some limitations on Etsy. The other factor is that Etsy does charge a 20 cent listing fee every four months. So you list an item today, it costs you 20 cents to list. You can set it up for automatic or manual renewal. I think a lot of people probably do manual renewal so they can decide at the end of that term if they want to renew it or not. I have entirely too many listings to be messing with that on a daily basis, so I've got mine set up on automatic. Again, always hoping for that one-off person that sees an item over there that they have not found anywhere else, and they go ahead and buy it. Etsy is probably close to 10% of my business every month, so again, it's nowhere near what I'm making over on eBay but it's a significant amount of money that I would not be making otherwise. Um, I had someone else reach out to me a while ago and asked about this. And for me, Mercari and Etsy alone are generating roughly seven to $800 in free cash flow, net profit after all the expenses are taken out every single month for very, very little effort um, using the software to do the cross listing. So I would recommend that you at least look into definitely Mercari. And if you have kind of vintage items and items of higher value. The other thing I do over on Etsy is I don't list anything over there that's in that kind of sub $13 range. Everything I have over on Etsy is $12.99 or higher other than like my print on demand stuff. So if I list a book and it's $17.99 and it's vintage, there's a good chance I'm going to put it up on Etsy as well. And again, it's a fairly significant amount of money for me, but it You can't do everything over there. So there are some caveats there. Again, thank you for the question. Uh, I did have one other question that I I failed to make a graphic for. I did want to cover that. Somebody asked me how often I go sourcing. And I, if you count looking at Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist, I probably source every day. (laughs) Uh, But in terms of actually going out and sourcing, it varies. I don't really have a set schedule Generally speaking, I go out at least once a week, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. Some weeks, I may go out all three of those days. Some days, I may even go out on Sunday. Some weeks, I only go one or two. This week, for instance, my plan was only to go out on Thursday. I did not have a particularly good day sourcing on Thursday. I only found about 18 items, if I remember correctly. So when I got home, I'm blessed. Again, I'm in a situation where I'm about equidistant between Dayton and Cincinnati, so I can pick and choose. Thursday, I had gone to Dayton. I did not do well. So I looked at the um, garage sale finder for Cincinnati for Friday. I planned to hit seven sales and three of them were total busts. Two of them were okay. And one of them was an absolute jackpot. Um, I picked up like 58 hats a bunch of books, some DVDs, some CDs, just a fantastic sale. And that made the week worthwhile. But I was not planning on going out Friday, except for the fact that I had a terrible day on Thursday. So again, no real rhyme or reason to it. I try to go out a minimum of one day a week. 
mostly just so I can get out of the basement. <laughs> uh, but so I can find new stuff. And then sometimes I will stretch that to two, three, or sometimes even four times a week. Usually during estate sale and garage sale season, during the spring, summer, and fall, I rarely hit thrift stores. I've gone to one thrift store all summer um, because I've, there are so many other opportunities frankly, that are better for me and books in particular than what I can find at thrift stores. Then during the winter months when garage sales are virtually non-existent and estate sales do slow down a little bit, that's when I'll start hitting the thrift stores and really, really dive in to Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, those types of things. So I apologize. Uh, I think that was Media Picker that asked that question, and for some reason I don't have a graphic for it. The last one we're going to hit here is from uh, I buy WNY. You seem to be putting up good quantity of listings. I'd love to hear you talk through your listing flow. I'm going to try to answer these kind of one at a time, and then I'm going to pull up some pictures if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, do you start with the ISBN or the title? As I have talked about, uh, both on my Instagram and here on this show, my personal feeling is that eBay's ISBN and to some extent their UPC catalog is so broken as to be virtually useless. So there are so many times that I'll put in uh, the ISBN number that's on the book and it will return a totally different title. It'll have the wrong publisher, the wrong date, the wrong author. There's almost invariably something inaccurate in their information. And I realize that in eBay's search, having that ISBN is probably recommended. But for my part, I frankly prefer that my listing is accurate. If the book says that it was published by Bantam Books and the ISBN information in eBay says it's published by Random House, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to change the publisher to Bantam Books. The problem is that when you do that, eBay erases the ISBN because you've edited that information. So you essentially are stuck putting does not apply. That is what I do for all of my listings. So I start not with the ISBN, but with the title. If it's a book, I'll usually put in the last name of the author. If it's a, a CD, I'll put in the artist or the band. And that's how I start my research on that item. Title, author, artist. And then I will go from there and determine what it is I want to do with that item. So that's where I start. Uh, the ISBN, at least on eBay for me, is <laughs> all but useless. If you're listening, eBay, <laughs> uh, I've mentioned that a couple of times. Uh, you should allow us as sellers, particularly those of us who have a lot of listings and have kind of a proven track record of being pretty good at this thing, uh, to make edits and have the ISBN catalog update so that it has correct information for everybody because it is a mess. Uh, they also ask, do you use Cell Similar? Yes, that's how I start. So I've got, I'll, I'll have it on my mobile. I'll put in the, the title and the author and the list of the books comes up and I will scroll down until I find something that I think is a really, really good match in terms of the the title and the way the listing is structured just to give me a good starting point and then I will use Cell Similar. I will always update the title so I'm not exactly copying someone's title. I always make sure, for instance, with a book, if I can fit it all in on the title, it's going to have the title of the book, the author, the publisher, the date, and any other relevant information. Is it a paperback? Is it a hardcover? Is it a hardcover with its dust jacket? Is it a book club edition? Is it X library? That sounds like a lot. It is. <laughs> uh, but I think that kind of stuff matters. I think buyers 
are looking for that level of information, particularly in the title of your listing, because we all know that a significant majority of them do not actually read the item descriptions or the dreaded item specifics. They look at a picture. A lot of times they clearly don't even look at all the pictures. They look at the main picture and they look at the title of the listing and make a buying decision based on that. So I always put as much information as I can on that title line, starting from the aspect of using the cell similar. Again, I list everything on the mobile app, which I'm going to get into here a little bit more in a minute. How many of the item specifics on books do you fill out? I fill out everything that I think is relevant. eBay does have a lot of stuff in there on various types of books that just does not apply. And I won't use those. I don't put in just a generic, not applicable, NA doesn't apply. I'll just leave it blank just to keep the process moving. If I don't think it applies, I will not use it. But I do put in everything that I think makes sense. They do have, obviously, some that are required, author, title, date, that kind of stuff. But I'll also put in the publisher, if the if there are anything special about the book. Is it illustrated? Does it have photos? That kind of stuff. I will fill all of that in. So I've got a pretty extensive list of item specifics on the majority of my listings. I do not just use the ones, again, that came over with the listing from Cell Similar because in a lot of cases, those are also incorrect. I cannot tell you how many times I've used a Cell Similar because the author and the title is right, but when I get into the item specifics, it doesn't even have the same author and title in the specifics that the book is. They've miscopied it. They used the ISBN, which was incorrect and didn't fix it. So I always go through and make sure that all that information is accurate. Again, am I being a little bit over the top with that? Maybe, but I think that level of accuracy makes a difference. If I'm looking to buy something and I pull the item specifics up on a book that says it's by Isaac Asimov and I pull the item specifics up and it says it's by Ray Bradbury, I start to wonder about how thorough and diligent this particular seller is going to be. What kind of job are they going to do packing my merchandise if they can't even take the time to make sure those things are right? So for me... I feel like that stuff is important and I try to make sure that they're right. Lastly, they ask any specific efficiency-based tips or strategies. So if you're watching on YouTube, uh, I'm going to pull up some things on the screen here for you to look at. If you're listening to the podcast, I'll try to explain this as best I can. So this first image that you're looking at is kind of my workspace. You'll excuse that it is a bit messy. Uh, Obviously, with 10,000 odd listings, I got a lot going on. Uh, but you'll see I've got uh, kind of my chair sat there in the middle. On the left-hand side of the image, there are a couple of tubs. That is the items that I'm currently working on. Those are, in the case of this particular photo, those are my recently sourced items that I'm about to do listings for. In the middle, the big bright white space there, that is my uh, photo booth. And then to the right, you'll see some other stuff there. And we're kind of going to go through some some images here and talk about this stuff in a little more detail. Again, here is the image of that tub. You can see I've got, there's all kinds of stuff in here. There's books, there's DVDs. I think there's some CDs in that tub. Uh, here's some hats. So I got all kinds of stuff going on here. This is all stuff that I'm going to work on listing. I move it to the photo booth. I have two small LED lights, one to either side, and then I have a photo light like I use for my studio here that shines down from above so I get nice, even lighting. 
for the backdrop, I've just got a, a big poster board, white cardboard backing. And then for the, the base, I picked up a, it's a bright white cutting board. I think it measures 24 by 18 on Amazon. It's super easy to clean. It's bright white. It takes great, works great for taking photos. Um, love it. I, I want to buy another one, <laughs> uh, but I got this one on Prime Day a couple of years ago for like $18 and it's now 50 bucks. So if you can find one that fits your space, whatever you want to do, this uh, for me is a fantastic thing to do. A lot of my items do have a little bit of, they're, they're from garage sales and estate sales. In some cases, they were stored in basements or garages or attics and they're a little dirty. Having this thing where I can just spritz a little Windex or a little Clorox cleaner on it and wipe it clean is fantastic. I really highly recommend that you look into that. So here to the immediate right of the photo booth, uh, you'll see two things. Uh, the first one uh, down below here to the left, you'll see my little planner um, with all these little hash marks. One of the things I do to keep myself on track is I set a daily listing goal. How many listings am I going to do on a given day? Most days it's a minimum of 20 or a maximum of maybe 25 or 30, depending on if that's all I'm going to do for the day. On days I go sourcing, I usually leave it at five just because I'm not trying to spend all day working on this stuff. But you can see that that just helps keep me on track. So that is very helpful. If you're not using some kind of way to track what you're doing on a daily basis, uh, I do also offer, there's links in the show notes in the descriptions below, some planning booklets that you can pick up pretty cheap over on Amazon that will give you kind of a daily planner to help keep you on track. The other thing you'll notice just to the right, again, if you're watching on YouTube, I have my scale with a padded mailer already on it. So as I move the thing from the tub to the center, I take the pictures, I go into the listing, I add all my item specifics. Before I finish the listing, I put it on the scale and get the exact weight and the rough measurements. So there are no surprises when I go to ship the item. I'm not going to miss the fact that an item was too big or miss the weight because I've already pre-weighed it. Then from there, I simply put it in either a box that's already labeled, ready to go on a shelf, or into a tub that I'm going to take over to the warehouse to put into another box or another shelf. And that's it. That process, having all of those things right there together and using the mobile app is kind of what allows me to get through 30, 35 listings on uh, any given day. The other thing is I don't put in massively big, long descriptions. Knowing, number one, that most people don't read them anyway, I essentially transfer the item from my title down below and then fill in any other added information that I think makes sense. I do not go into describing the plot of the book, for instance. I My personal feeling is... There are probably a dozen listings that already do that. And most people who are looking for a specific book probably already know what it's roughly about. So I don't waste the time or the real estate in the description to put that information in there. You can let me know again in the comments or you can email me at galaxycds at gmail.com and let me know what you think of that. But I don't do that. My description is essentially fleshing out what I've already got in the title then I will put in what kind of condition it is in and any specific things. So this is in good condition with light cover wear and some tanning of pages as 
paper gets older, sometimes it starts to brown a little bit. If there are any rips, tears, stains, anything like that, that will go in there. And then I also reiterate how the item is going to ship. It's going to ship by media mail. It's going to ship by ground advantage, whatever the case may be. And that's it. So I don't spend hours researching the topic of a book to put into the item description, author, title, publisher, date, anything specific. If it's got a particular artist that did the illustrations or a particularly famous artist that did the cover cover art. Uh, And again, very specific description of any defects with the cover or the pages. And I move on to the next one. So hopefully you found that helpful. If you did, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, do me a favor and whack that thumbs up button. Uh, If you're not currently a subscriber to the show and you want to think about doing that, I think there's a button down there. (laughs) Uh, You can do that as well. So thank you to everyone who reached out with questions. Um, uh, Let me know if you would like to see more of these episodes in the future. uh, And if you just have questions ever in general, you can always feel free to either leave them on the YouTube channel or you can, of course, DM me over on Instagram at Galaxy CDs Rocks. I try to respond as quickly as I can. Though, to be fair, I do have notifications off there. So I only find them when I go to Instagram to check. And, uh, of course, you can email me at GalaxyCDs at gmail.com. With all of that out of the way, again, I hope you found something uh, useful there. Let's get into this little bit of reselling news. News updates. Just a couple of quick things here. We talked a couple of weeks ago about Amazon did not have USPS ground advantage as a shipping option. And last week, they finally got it fixed. It works better if I leave the button pressed. So in mid-July, Amazon had informed sellers about the new USPS Ground Advantage offering, but told them it wasn't yet prepared to offer it through its buy shipping program, which lets sellers purchase shipping labels on Seller Central. On August 24th, Amazon finally updated the shipping label program to include Ground Advantage. The service had was essentially the consolidated first-class package service, Parcel Select Ground and Parcel Select Cubic, into one service called Ground Advantage. It happened back on July 9th, so it took uh, essentially a month and a half for Amazon to get this right. Uh, if you're a seller on Amazon, let me know. This article over on e-commerce Bytes indicated that some sellers were having problems with packages that they were taking to the post office that Amazon was still printing as first class. The post office had said they were going to accept those packages through September 30th, but it sounds like some local post offices maybe didn't get the memo. <laughs> Uh, and we're giving some sellers uh, some grief over that. So I, I don't know. You can let me know if you had any issues there. But uh, Amazon has finally fixed that issue. And lastly, just two things in the news. The UPS Teamsters Union did ratify their five-year contract. And the union then sent a warning to Amazon. Uh, UPS Teamsters have voted overwhelmingly in favor of ratifying the new five-year collective bargaining agreement, making a historic Milestone for the union. I said uh, in the episode where I covered this that I saw no reason to believe that that was not what the outcome was going to be. And it was the agreement received an unprecedented 86.3% support and is being hailed as a significant achievement in protecting and rewarding the more than 340,000 UPS Teamsters across the nation. 
All supplemental agreements were ratified as well, except for a single supplement in Florida, which covered just 174 members. The union will immediately renegotiate outstanding issues in that case to ensure that the national master agreement can go into effect as soon as possible. So good on, uh, again, the Teamsters Union for getting things like air conditioning in the trucks for their drivers and better pay for their part-time workers and all the things that they accomplished in that. And good on UPS for recognizing that they needed to take a little bit better care of their people. So that is it in the reselling news. And now let's get into some what sold. It was another just fantastic week. August has just been off the charts for me. I don't, you again, let me know in the comments if you're watching on YouTube, how has your August been? But it has been killer here for me last week. I, th I think I did 137, 134 or 137 listings sold um, across multiple platforms, which was just fantastic. It was probably the most listings I've sold in a single week in a long, long time. I did go back in my accounting software and run some reports just to see if this was an anomaly or if August is traditionally a pretty strong month for me. And as it turns out, uh, each of the last two Augusts were the second best month of the year for me. And this one is going to be no exception. Uh, it looks like it's going to be my second best month so far in 2023. And in both of the last two years, August was actually better than December for me. My big month of the year is January, which is kind of weird, but uh, I guess it's people with gift cards or whatever making purchases after the holidays are over. Uh, January typically is my best month, and August, as it turns out, is my second best month. So this is we're going to recap some of the stuff that sold in the last week. This first item sold over on eBay. It's a really, really old pocket-sized book. It was gosh, maybe three inches by two inches. It was really small, called The Kind Father and Other Stories. It was published way, way back in 1855 by H.C. Peck and Theo Bliss. Again, pocket-sized hardcover with some illustrations in it in pretty mediocre condition, to be fair. The cover was so bad that my picture is actually not even of the cover. It's my lead picture. The main photo was of the title page because I thought that was more representative of what the book actually was. The spine was torn. The cover was torn and stained. This is a book that I got in a big lot of books that cost me less than a nickel. I had it listed for $24.99 or best offer, received an offer of $20, and went ahead and sold it. For sale over on Etsy, Survey of Romans by Jimmy Allen. This was a illustrated hardcover from Harding College from back in 1973. Fairly hard book to find, a religious book uh, about the book of Romans. This sold for $24.99 plus media mail shipping. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, on a cost of goods sold of a dollar. I just picked this up. Two weeks ago at an estate sale, there there were a bunch of botanical art books, and this was a new flowering 1,000 Years of Botanical Art by Shirley Sherwood. This was published in 2005. It was basically a, a museum guidebook from the Ashmolean of botanical art that was on display at this museum 
back in 2005. I picked it up at an estate sale for $3. It sold for $25.99 plus media mail shipping. Uh, we're going to have a few of these, I think, in this episode. Uh, that same week at a different sale, I picked up a pretty good-sized box of vintage car and motorcycle manuals, and they have been fantastic. So I will generally look up like the Haynes manuals and the Climber auto manuals, and sometimes they're worth pretty good money, and other times they're not worth so much money. But a lot of the OEM, the original equipment manufacturers' manuals, can bring pretty good money. And this particular sale had quite a few of those. They were $3 a piece. I bought, gosh, I don't know, maybe 20 different titles. They have pretty much all already sold, starting anywhere from $13.99 on up. This is the Volkswagen official service manual for the Type 1. Super Beetle, Beetle, and Carmen Ghia from 1970 to 1979. Again, I paid $3 for it. It sold for $29.99 plus media mail shipping. If it was in a little better shape, it probably would have brought a little bit more money, but these manuals were obviously used in a shop. They had some staining, you know, oil thumbprints and that kind of stuff in them, but still brought really, really good money. So, if you're out in a garage somewhere and you see some of these old OEM manuals, uh, they're probably worth taking a couple of minutes to look them up. Here's an old book from 1969, The One Bank Holding Company by Herbert Prochnow. Uh, it was a hardcover published by Rand McNally. This is one, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see is in my 40% off sale. I picked this up at an estate sale for probably two bucks a couple of years ago. Had it listed for $49.99. It was currently $29.99 with the sale offer, and that's what it sold for. Plus, again, media mail shipping. Set of old books. Uh, the International Textbook Company. A lot of, pretty much any time I find their books, I will at least look them up, and more often than not, I will go ahead and buy them. They're not always huge money, but usually you can get them pretty cheap. And they'll sell anywhere from maybe $10 to $15 a piece. This particular set was a three-piece set, Machine Design Books, Volumes 1, 2, and 3. Again, from the International Textbook Company. They were numbered 224B, 225B, and 226B, and published way back in 1933. I had these listed as a set for $39.99, or best offer. They sold uh, with a 15% off offer. That's a mouthful. Having been sent out for $33.99. Again, I own them for about a buck a piece. So $3 into $33.99 is a deal I will take all day long. Back over to Etsy. Uh, I talk about religious books pretty frequently. Here's another one. Traveling Towards Sunrise, a daily devotional book by Mrs. Charles E. Kalman. This was a 1965 publication, hardcover with its dust jacket. That particular combination of facts is what made this book so valuable. This book is currently still in print. It's available in paperback for a fairly modest fee. But because this particular one was coming up on 60 years old and had its dust jacket, it brought $39.99 uh, plus, again, media mail shipping. I picked this up at an estate sale, uh, man, a couple of weeks ago for $2.00. Another one of those shop manuals. This is another OEM manual from Kawasaki, the Kawasaki H series shop manual, sixth revision from October of 1976. It covered several different motorcycles 
And from different years, the H1, the KH500, and the H2. This is another one I picked up for $3 at that same sale. This one sold for $39.99 plus media mail shipping. Again, similar condition, well used, brought good money. In pristine condition, this is probably a $50 or $55 book, but because mine was pretty well worn, I offered it for a little bit better price and sold it in less than a week. Another old book that I've had for quite some time, The Issues of American Politics by Oren Skinner. This was a first edition hardcover from way back in 1873. It was published by the J.B. Lippincott Company. Uh, again, I've had it for quite some time. I had it listed for $89.99. It was in my current 50% off sale and sold for $45 plus shipping. Uh, neat old book. Again, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see this is not in particularly great shape. The spine, the cover have damage and staining. Again, it's from 1873. You're rarely going to find pristine copies of anything that old, uh, but there is still demand for these. So I know I see it all the time at sales. People just walk by these old books and think, ah, oh, that's just a beat up old book. That's not worth anything. And I'll pick it up and look it up and it's worth 40, 50, 60 bucks. So <laughs> uh, that's why I love selling books, to be completely honest. I can go to a sale. I've said this before. I can go to a sale on the last day and still make major, major scores for next to no money because most people are not looking at these things. Uh, a book from the 1940s, Camping and Woodcraft by Horace Gephardt. This was two volumes in one book published back in 1943. A lot of cool old illustrations in it. This sold over on Mercari for $55 with free shipping. Again, as I talk about anytime I sell something on Mercari, I don't use their shipping, mostly because they are charging a surcharge for media rate shipping. So I just do ship on my own and add the shipping fee to my retail price. So 55 bucks. This was part of a big lot of books that I own for 16 cents. Yet another of those OEM manuals, this time a motorcycle manual, Harley Davidson Motor Company service manual for the FL and FX models from 1978 and a half through 1994. The part number for the book from Harley was 99482-84. Really valuable book. Another one, same thing, $3 lot. Had it listed for $64.99 plus media mail shipping. Uh, received an offer of $55, which was kind of the minimum offer that I was willing to accept. So I went ahead and did just that. $55 bucks out of 3 bucks. You can see, again, where these things start to add up over time. This last one is over on Mercari. Uh it, couple of asides here. So last week I talked about the Etsy make an offer program and that I had not, I had had literally one offer in however long I'd been on the beta. And no sooner had I ended that recording <laughs> uh, that I had one person that reached out and made offers on four different items. Subsequently, they did not buy any of those items. So the 48 hours elapsed, nothing happened. C'est la vie, I guess. But the next day I got yet another offer from someone else on a different book over on Etsy and it sold. The offer was accepted right away. I sent the message back and they accepted and paid immediately and that thing went on its way. It wasn't a big deal. It was like a $14 book. Uh, but whatever's going on over at Etsy, it seemed like the offer thing started to kind of free up. I 
talk about that because this particular item, which sold over on Mercari, is the first time I've had something that they recently started, which was bundle offers. I think to this point, I had only had one previously, so not really very many of these. Uh, But this person reached out about seven copies of the Horizon, a magazine of the arts. They were hardcover magazines published in the mostly in the 1960s. I, I got a whole bunch of these in a big, big bulk buy that I own for about five cents a piece. I've got them listed on eBay, I believe, for $4.99 plus shipping on Mercari. They're 10 bucks a piece. He offered on seven of those plus a book that I had just picked up for $3 at another estate sale. Uh, Dutch Genre Drawings, a book about old Dutch art uh, that I had listed, I believe, for $14. And he made me an offer for the eight items of 70 bucks. Mercari shows you in the bundle offer kind of what the total would be if you accepted the individual sales. In this case, it was $88. The guy was offering 70 bucks. I was going to save a ton of money in shipping by shipping all of these things at once. So the offer definitely made sense to do individually. Nothing too spectacular here. Seven $10 books and an $18 book or whatever it was. Uh, but a $70 sale, it cost me about $6 to ship. So it ended up being a fairly profitable little deal uh, that I went ahead and took. So let me know again if you're watching on YouTube. Down in the comments below, uh, are you getting any offers over on Etsy? Have you had any bundle offers on Mercari? What did you What did you think of the questions and answers earlier in the show? Anything like that, let me know. I always appreciate reading your comments. Uh, I do read each and every one of them and try to respond to as many of them as I can. Uh, I do, as I always say, I appreciate that you spend a little bit of your time every week watching and or listening to this show. With that all having been said, uh, this is the longest episode I've done for a while. So, uh, uh, again, appreciate you spending a little time. And now it's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time. <laughs>